Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Daniel Brown. I love how Arnold can say anything and it sounds like amazing. Oh, poor baby, whatever. I can't do it well. <laughs> I sound more Italian than any they did it. Yeah, not good. I'll work on that next year. I'll have it down. Um, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning during your Christmas season. Um, we are ending our Christmas series, our Advent series called Christmas Crazy Today. Um, this is not your most traditional Advent series. It was really birthed out of this idea that Christmas has this way of bringing out the crazy. Not the crazies, even though that also is true um, at times, but the crazy. You know, in our circumstances, you know, crazy things happen. Um, it always seems like there's more car accidents and you blow tires on the interstate when you normally wouldn't blow tires on the interstate. And just seems like circumstantially crazy things happen during the holidays. But not just in our circumstances, but also in our relationships. Christmas has a way of bringing out the crazy in us and in others, right? And I can admit, my, my family can attest to this, that I can get a little crazy around the holiday season, especially when it comes to Christmas traditions. You know, I'm getting my family together. We're getting dressed, ready to go. And I want this to be special. I want to be memorable. I want it to be just, oh, so amazing. And I can get a little bit edgy. I can get a little bit crazy. Anyone with me? Am I the only one that gets a little crazy around Christmas? You know, because I am a tradition person. I love my traditions. So I can get a little bit crazy. But even on a deeper level, Christmas has a way of bringing to the surface and highlighting the dysfunction in our lives, the brokenness, the hurt that exists, that exists throughout the year. But for some reason during the holiday season, it comes to the forefront you know, we have to engage those broken relationships more. We have to feel that grief more during this season. And so Christmas has a way of bringing that crazy and, and, and just, you know, really feeling it during the Christmas season. And last week, Rob did a wonderful job of, of just saying that God's heart as believers is that we are not to avoid, but we are to um, carefully and lovingly engage reconciliation in our relationships. And he laid out the biblical prescription of how we do that, how we seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members, um, those broken relationships. And so if you didn't hear that, I hope you'll go back and listen to our podcast um, and really take that in. I found myself sitting there going, man, yeah, that would have been good if I would have done it that way back then. Um, but I also found myself sitting there going, man, that's so good. But what if it doesn't work? What if reconciliation is not possible? What if that person is not responsive? What if that person's not at a place to receive it? What if they're hostile towards even the, the idea of that reconciliation? What if they're not repentant? What if they don't take ownership their, uh, of their own faults? What then do I do? What do I do when that relationship remains broken, when it remains tense, when it remains uncomfortable? Because the reality is, on this side of heaven, every one of us still has to continue living on in the midst of broken relationships. Even though God is bringing about reconciliation, He's bringing about healing, the reality is we still live in a broken world, and, and even ourselves are broken. That we, even, we ourselves are in a journey of growing in obedience to Christ. So oftentimes, we're the broken ones. 
And so how do we live then? How do we continue to live and love in the midst of relational brokenness and turmoil? And so that's kind of the focus of our sermon this morning. So I'm going to pray over you. Lord, I just, I remember that this season reminds us that you are mighty God. You are everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace and you are the wonderful Counselor. And God, in the midst of brokenness, I pray this morning that all of us would experience you on a deeper level as the wonderful Counselor. That you would counsel us and counsel our hearts through brokenness and tension. And that in the middle of unresolved situations that your reign of peace would further in our lives through your truth this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to start out by reading in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Romans 12 will be on the screen behind me, but feel free to pull it up in your Bible. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And here's a section that we're going to come back and study later. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then skipping down to verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay another evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, this passage is kind of interesting because it starts out, Paul is telling us, hey, here's what sincere love is. Or, hey, I want you to love sincerely. And so he begins to list off what this sincere, this genuine love would look like. And in, in, in one way, it's like beautiful. You're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's awesome. In the other way, it's kind of discouraging because I even skipped like half of the passage in the middle because it is a ridiculously long list of what perfect love would look like. And there's part of you that like ends reading that and you're like, yeah, wouldn't that be nice if I could just do that? But there's also this other encouraging part that, that it says that you can do all of these things. This long laundry list of all of these things, loving well and doing these things. And guess what? It could still not work. Things could still be wrong. You could do everything right. You could be the best person at loving people and showing love and seeking reconciliation. And it'd still be wrong. And it'd still be broken. And as I was thinking about this idea, this truth hit me that it's both the beauty and the tragedy of the gospel is this, that God gives us a choice. God gives us a choice. Our own restoration and the restoration of other depends on our own willingness to receive it. Our own willingness to choose it. We have to choose so what do we do, though, when there is no resolution? 
when the person is unresponsive, unreceptive, when restoration is not yet possible, when tensions still exist, when people still afflict us, how then do we live and how then do we love? For those that have walked closely with me over the last couple of years, um, know that this is part of my journey. Probably about 10 years ago, eight years ago, addiction just ravished my family. And it was about four years ago, around this time, that I had to jump on a plane to Texas to be with a family member that was in a really tough situation. And I remember, and, and I recall so many Christmases the last couple of years where there's just a sense of brokenness and hopelessness. I remember um, dreading when my phone rang, wondering what state this person would be in when I picked it up, what hurt they would lash out at me, or maybe this was the phone call where they didn't make it. I remember those phone calls, and I remember the pain and the sorrow, and, and I remember going back to my family during Christmas and, and the tension. I remember so well the awkward conversations, and I remember the sense of hopelessness that would set in and the fear of, man, what kind of state is this person going to arrive in? Is my kids going to see them in this type of state? What kind of brokenness and hurtful things are they going to say in front of my children, in front of my wife? And I know because I have seen your prayer requests that so many of you carry to varying degrees relational brokenness this season. And I know how hopeless it can feel how frustrating it can feel, how scary it can feel when there's not resolution. And it's not a matter of trying or loving, but rather because that person has not yet had a place to respond. Maybe that's because they're unresponsive because of addiction or mental disorder or emotional disorder or hard-heartedness. Whatever the reason being, you find yourself having to live with this burden. And with the fear that comes with that. The fear that they're going to hurt you, that they're going to hurt others, or maybe even hurt themselves. And first, I just want to say and just kind of speak, I think, the Father's heart over you. That I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have to carry the burden of others' choices. That you've had to bear the affliction and the hurt and the pain of, of stinging words, of unresolved circumstances, of hope and expectations, of relationships being something that you would you know, desire for them to be in the disappointment when they're not. And I think the Father's heart would say, man, I am sorry for that. But my hope for you this morning is that you walk away from this place with a new sense of hope. With a lightness and hopefully a bit of guidance on how to navigate the very choppy and rough waters and, and really challenging waters of relational brokenness with others. Because I know this, after going through this for several years, that there are so many potholes 
that I fell into. So many areas that I hope that through, through this sermon this morning that you can avoid or that you can navigate around potholes of, of resentment, potholes of unforgiveness, potholes of hard-heartedness, potholes of hopelessness that begin to settle in my heart that hopefully you can navigate around. But even more so, I hope that from this you can learn to love in such a way that, 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 that calls that person into reconciliation and into restoration. So when I was walking this road, I always had this tendency, and I've seen this in others, to swing between two extremes of loving. On one end, I would like unnecessarily submit myself to abuse, affliction, and control. And this was you know, this was out of that desire to love unconditionally, right? I wanted to love them unconditionally and full of grace and, and be long-suffering with them. And so I would just throw myself in that relationship and be the peacemaker and try to, try to rescue that and love them well. But in that process, I just would suffer so much. And so I would do that for a while until I just couldn't suffer anymore. And then I would swing to the other side. And on this side, I would begin to barricade my heart my emotions from that person because I just couldn't take it. And so out of the desire to self-preserve, which is not a bad thing, and guard my heart, and out of the maybe the, the, the banner of justice or, hey, you know what, they deserve to reap what they sow, I would begin to barricade my heart from them. And so I was constantly swinging back and forth between these two extremes. And this is a thing. I believe that in those two extremes, there is a thread of the biblical redemptive message. That there's truth in both of those ways of loving. But in and of themselves, they are hurtful. And they, they, they have a way of kind of twisting our hearts. And so, so I found myself swinging between these two ways. But I believe that in Scripture, there is a way up the middle. A way that calls us to bear with them in suffering and affliction, and yet in a way that guards our hearts and loves them well. A way that calls us to bear with them in suffering and affliction, and yet in a way that guards our hearts and loves them well. In Ephesians 4, we're going to read in 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. And here's an important part that we're going to really dig into. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And going back to the passage we read earlier in Romans 12, 12, it says something similar. It said, be joyful in hope, patience in peace, and faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, and faithful in prayer. In both this text, love is, in this text and the text we read earlier, love is marked by the fruit of the Spirit, patience. A patience in affliction that bears with one another. Twelve separate times, Paul instructs believers that our love should be marked by such a patience in suffering. 
Unfortunately, though, I believe the word patience lacks a sense of gravitas and depth in the English language. And I think some of that reflects kind of our culture, kind of takes on our culture. You know, to us, patience is like, you know, waiting in traffic during the holiday season, trying our best not to flip off the person that just cut us off because we know that's unchristian-like. Or waiting in line at Starbucks, getting a little ancient and getting kind of a little unpatient because we're afraid by the time we get to the front, our chestnut praline latte, they're going to be out of it. And then... You know, the season's going to be gone and we're not going to get our chance to have it. Or waiting our two days for our Amazon packages to arrive. See, it has this idea of of patience in our culture. So it's very short and it's very like unwelcome and uncomfortable and something that we don't like. And, And it just really lacks a sense of depth to it. But here in the other 12 places in Paul's letters, the Greek word for patience in relationship is in relationships is this. It's this word, macrothomia. Say it with me. Macrothomia. Man, both services last night, it's so good. Macrothomia. And macrothomia is this compound word, and it's formed by the two words, macros, which means long, and thumos, which is passion or temper. In the King James, this is translated long suffering, macrothomias. And so this idea to be long-tempered, you know, um, we get our, our idea of, of short-tempered and long-tempered. Um, but this idea of temperate is the ability to come under extreme heat and duress without it causing to melt down, bo- boil over, or being warped. So long-tempered is this ability to come under extreme heat or duress without it causing meltdown, boil over, or being warped. So like a metal, like certain metals, they, they, you put a little bit of heat to them and they just, they just fall apart. But other metals, it takes a lot of heat and a lot of duress before they begin to feel the pressure and begin to warp. They have this ability to come under great duress, great heat with, without losing their core shape. And I don't think there is a better illustration of this than one of the greatest Christmas gifts that have ever existed. And good old Stretch Armstrong here. You know what this is? Some of you are like, I have no clue what that is. This is Stretch Armstrong. And see, Stretch has this ability. He has this ability. You watch this. Ready? Excited? He has this ability to stretch and come under great tension and great restraint, my kids were loving this when I got this, for example, and yet not lose its form, its ability to be, to come under all this tension and yet come back to its original form and not be warped and not be shaped, although over time it gets a little funky. Um, <laughs> he has this amazing ability to be stretched, to come under tension and not to fall apart, to not be warped. Pastor and author Tim Keller described this macrothemia in a powerful way. He said it this way. He said, it's the spiritual ability to bear injury, mistreatment, and affliction of other people without it reshaping you, melting you down into resentment, anger, and bitterness. Let me say that one more time. It's the spiritual ability to bear injury, mistreatment, and affliction of other people without it reshaping you, melting you down into resentment, 
anger and bitterness. See, to live and to love in broken relationships, we must learn to cultivate, to live in this macrothomia, the ability to bear injury, mistreatment, affliction, and suffering without it compromising our character and our heart and our core relationships. But how? How do we cultivate such a patience in suffering? How do we walk in the way up the middle? See, the people that hurt you, the people that hurt me, you and I, see, they, they, they had the same type of tensions and suffering in their lives. And what happened was they, it, it began to warp them and then they began to hurt others. And so that's why this is so important important that it's not just loving, but it's loving in a way that guards our hearts so that we don't begin to perpetuate that hurt on others. Because then we become warped and then we become instruments of hurt. And so it's so important that we walk this macrothemia, this patience in suffering. But how? How do we do that? How do we navigate that middle road without falling into those potholes? So, so this morning, I'm going to give you eight guideposts of how to navigate. And I know what you're thinking. Eight. Do we have that much time? Well, we forgot to tell you, we're going to go 20 minutes longer today. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just 15. Um, no, we're going to go through these really quick. But as I was writing this sermon, the reality is this is a very complex and messy process. It's not clean. I wish it was. It's very complex, and so you, I, wouldn't, I would do you a disservice if I sat up here and said, man, here's two ways to relational, just everything's going to be perfect. You're going to get along with everyone, and everyone's going to love you and like you. I wish I could do that, but the reality is it's complex. And hear, hear me out. I don't expect you to remember all eight of these. I mean, some of you will, and that's incredible. Um, but I just pray that as I'm going through these that you would find the one that you say, hey, man, that's me. Or that's what the Holy Spirit wants to teach me. And that's where you camp out and you allow the Spirit to minister to you. Does that sound good? So eight guideposts to patience and suffering. First, we've got to remember that patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Galatians, where it starts to list out the fruits of the Holy Spirit, patience, this macrothemia is one of those. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. And this is an important guidepost because in and of yourself, you cannot practice macrothemia. It is not in your nature. It is not in your flesh. It is not, um, you are not it's not possible for you to do that. And in this process, as you're trying to love these difficult relationships, you're going to be like, man, if I just love better, man, if I was just more patient, man, if I was just more empathetic, man, if I was just more compassionate, all these things, the reality is it's just not in your nature. However, as we begin to cultivate and practice the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives through prayer and in his word and through worship, as we begin to carve out that time and as we begin to say, Lord, I can't do this. I am dependent on you. We begin to see the fruit of macrothemia in our lives. But if we try to do it on our own, we will always come up short. It is a fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit and so when you're going through this, I just challenge you, you've got to carve out that space to be in the presence of God. 
you've got to carve out that space to be with him in prayer. Because it's only out of his, out of his presence that you will experience the fruit of macrothemia. The second guidepost is this truth. God is long-suffering with you. God is long-suffering with you. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and macrothemia? His long-suffering, his, his patience in suffering towards you, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's when we begin to experience and realize God's long-suffering for us and receive it as a gift that then we can give it to others. As we receive it as a gift that this is how God loves us. This is how not only how he did love us, how he continues to be long-suffering and patient in love for us. And as we just take in that and we experience it in our hearts, it gives us the ability to give it away. And it's so important that we sit in this truth because it's easy in our own rightness to become prideful and vindictive. It's easy in our own rightness to say, you know what, man, my dad, man, he shoved religion down my throat. I ain't going to do that with my kids. And to forget our own humble posture before the Lord and how we are the ones that he is patient with. We are the ones that that he suffers longly for. The third guidepost is this. We must guard our hearts against the root of bitterness. Hebrews 12 reads, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's talking about how to live in peace with one another. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, this is something I didn't do too well. I was, you know, trying to be the mediator, the peacemaker. I was going to pasture in my family, and I wasn't guarding against the root of bitterness. And, you know, I had this aspen tree one time in my yard. And if you know anything about aspens, they're basically like a weed. They're beautiful weeds, but they're basically a weed. And so I chopped down this aspen tree because it was dying, thinking that would get rid of the aspen. But then yet every summer and spring, all these little aspen sprouts were sprouting up in my yard. It was really super annoying. And, 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 and so I'd go like mow them down, and then two weeks later they'd grow up, and I'm like... How is this happening? It's because these root systems were everywhere and they, would, they had embedded themselves in the soil. And if we're not careful in this process, if we don't guard our hearts, there's these, these roots of bitterness, these roots of resentment that, that hide themselves in our hearts and they begin to spring up all over the place. They spring up in our marriage relationship. They spring up towards our kids. They spring up in our workplace. They spring up in our, you know, in my life. And, you know, just, yeah, I'm just easily frustrated, easily annoyed, very short-tempered, you know. And, and, and I didn't even realize what was happen, happening because I didn't guard against these roots of bitterness and resentment. And I think a lot of these come because we have a tendency to minimize our hurt, to minimize our anger. You know, in those moments where they hurt us, we go, oh, it's fine, I'm fine, it's not affecting me, I'm good, I'm good, it's not that big of a deal, it's all right. 
You know, oh, you know, it's not that. It's, it's just not. And we minimize it rather than feeling that hurt and taking it before the Lord and receiving his healing. And every time we shove that, minimize it and shove it down, it has an opportunity to grow roots in our heart. The fourth is we have to choose to forgive. We have to choose to forgive. God, Jesus calls us and tells us to forgive. And I know that we're waiting. Well, you know, they haven't asked for forgiveness. Or they haven't been repentant. Or they haven't owned up what they did wrong to me. And this is, this is the truth about forgiveness. Forgiveness depends on you. It doesn't depend on them. Restoration depends on them. Reconciliation depends on them responding. But forgiveness depends on you. You can choose today, even though they may not own what they did wrong, to choose to forgive them and not hold a debt against them. You can choose that today. And for so many of us, it's good, man, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to let them off the hook for what they did. They deserve what they did. You don't know what they did to me. But the truth is, unforgiveness, um, it's, not, it's not letting them off the hook. When we choose unforgiveness, the person that's not let off the hook is us and our hearts. And so on one end, we don't want to minimize our pain, but we also don't want to wallow in it. We don't want to sit in it and just make a home out of it. We go, you know what? I've been hurt. I deserve to be right here. I deserve to have unforgiveness towards them. Because when we do that, it has the same effect of cultivating resentment and brokenness in our heart. So we've got to choose to forgive. The fifth, and this is one of the hardest, is we have to let go. But we don't have to give up. We have to let go, but we don't have to give up. I've talked to so many people that it is so hard for them to let go and lay that person or lay that expectation or lay um, that circumstance in the hands of the Father and say, God, you ultimately are their Savior. You are their Redeemer. You know their heart better than I do. And God, I need you to restore this, but to do that, i got to let go. And so often, in our unwillingness to let go, we are getting in the way of God's restoration in their life and in our own. And, but I'm not saying we have to give up. There's a big difference in letting go and giving up on that person. But we, for some of us, maybe the relationship's not that broken, but we need to let go of maybe that expectation of, of the type of relationship we wanted to have with them. And here, here what I can tell you is I've seen this, that as you let go of that expectation, they sense that freedom, they sense that lack of control, and they begin to respond. As you let go and you lay that desire before the Lord and say, Lord, I wish I had this relationship with this person, with this daughter, with this son, with this whatever that is. And that's the relationship I want. It's in my heart, Lord. I just have this desire. And you lay it before Jesus and you leave it there. You'll be surprised how over time they'll sense that release of control and they'll start opening up to God's redemption in their life. I've seen it a hundred times. And then we got to place healthy boundaries. And I get so much pushback to this so, so many times and people in this situation place healthy boundaries in space because they say, no, I've got to love them unconditionally. I've got to show them grace. I've got to 
do this. And out of this, out of this banner of unconditional love, they're unwilling to place healthy space and boundaries in that relationship. And because of that, they, they, they continue to place themselves in a place of getting hurt and in a place where that person continues to hurt people. And so healthy boundaries are not opposite of unconditional love. Healthy boundaries are natural consequences of a person's choices. They're just natural consequences of a person's choices that guard you and them from further hurt. However, I want to encourage you, you got to be careful. you got to be careful when placing boundaries that your heart doesn't begin to shift. See, because we can become, make boundaries as a way to stick it to them, to make them pay for what they did. I'm going to put this boundary. You're never going to have a relationship with me because you know what? You did that. That's not forgiveness. Not the forgiveness that God gave that doesn't keep a debt. It's not vindictive. And it's a fine line of walking this boundaries because you love them and boundaries because they hurt you and you're going to get back to them. So you've got to guard your heart. Seventh, you've got to fight for compassion. You've got to fight for compassion. It's so easy to do all of these steps, to walk this road, to, to, to guard against resentment, and then to just, you know what, man, it would be easier if I could just switch off compassion. Because it would be easier if I just didn't feel, if I didn't have empathy, if I didn't care. That would, it, trust me, it makes it a lot easier if you don't care. <laughs> just switch that off. But here, here's the truth. You can't, you can't turn off compassion in one area of your heart and not, forget, not, not affect the other areas of your heart. You will see other strands of hard-heartedness in your heart. You can't do it. And so what I encourage you is to fight for compassion. And the way I did that in my life is, man, and sometimes didn't do it well, is I just chose to pray for that person. Prayer has this amazing ability to re-engage our heart and compassion towards them. And I didn't want to. A lot of times I didn't feel it. But as I began to pray for them, God's heart began to come into me. And then I, I chose not just to focus on the negative about them, but the good things, the good moments, the good memories. And sometimes it was hard. But as I began to dwell on those things, compassion would begin to reawaken in my heart. So you got to fight for compassion. And last, be open. Be open to God's work of restoration. I think about the prodigal son. The father let him go. He came and said, give me my inheritance. The father gave it to him. How dishonoring. How humiliating in a culture that, where you're supposed to honor your father. He gave it to him. And he let him go. And it, and it says later on in the text that it was as if he was dead. But he never gave up hope. You know how we know this? Because the father seemed to have his eyes on the horizon. Looking for that moment where his son would come over that horizon. And soon as he did... The father ran with open arms and openness to reconciliation with him. But there was also the reluctant brother 
the one that had been faithful, the one that had been honoring, the one that had done everything right except guard his heart against unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. And because of that, the brother was unable to re-enter uh, and to receive the reconciliation that God was bringing. I told you a little bit about my, my story. And, and I just wanted to update you on that. It's been several years, and, and really, this Christmas is the first time I can say there is so much hope on the horizon. God has been doing amazing things in my family. And I believe, and it's not reconciled yet, but I believe that God's reconciliation is coming in my family and in my life. And I just want to encourage you this morning in a season that declares that a child is born, a child that was born to a people, to a nation that sat in darkness for 400 years, that were divided against each other, that fought against one another, that were in utter darkness, that seemed hopeless. God went to the most extreme way to come down and to bring hope and to bring peace and to bring reconciliation. And if there's anything that says there is hope for those relationships, it is that God came down during Christmas time. Amen? so I challenge you and encourage you to keep your heart open. For some of you, it may seem impossible. For some of you, maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you know, reconciliation's not possible anymore because that person has passed on. But hear me, God still can reconcile your heart. God still can bring reconciliation and redemption through you to your kids to your family, to others, if you'll just be open to it. Amen? I can pray over you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your counsel this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to love and patience and suffering, to do it in a way that guards our hearts, that loves well and hopefully invites those we love into repentance, into restoration, into healing. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 